0: Welcome to the Dhamma Podcast. The audio recording that follows was recorded during Essinghuinka's tour of North America in 2002, known as the Meditation Now Tour. This podcast will be updated monthly with additional archives from Essinghuinka's talks and questions and answer sessions, as well as other speakers discussing aspects of Vipassana meditation as taught by Essinghuinka. This podcast is sponsored by Pariyati, a nonprofit publisher that offers written, audio, and video content and whose mission is to enrich the world by disseminating the words of the Buddha, providing sustenance for the seeker's journey, and illuminating the meditator's path. For more information regarding Pariyati, please go to www.pariyati.org. That is www.p-a-r-i-y-a-t-t-i.org. For more information on Vipassana meditation, as taught by S. N. Goenka, including a schedule of courses offered throughout the world, please see www.dhamma.org. That is www.dhamma.org.
1: Most venerable bhikkhu sangha, venerable nuns, and friends, we have all assembled here this evening, to understand what is vipassana and how does it help us in our day to day life <coughs> how it is relevant in today's time today's world vipassana is a technique to help one to come out of all the miseries of the life in a very scientific way. A technique discovered and preached by the enlightened one 26 centuries back. The technique wants us to understand the reality the reality as it is, the reality pertaining to oneself, by oneself, within oneself, at the experiential level. Mere intellectual understanding will not liberate us from misery. It is good to understand at the intellectual level or to accept at the emotional and devotional level but that will not liberate, that will give us a guidance that will give us inspiration Vipassana is to experience the truth there are two types of truth one is called apparent truth it appears to be so it seems to be so One has to start observing the truth, the apparent truth, as it is. As it is, as it manifests itself at this moment. And then from moment to moment, moment to moment. As you keep on working with the reality, where no imagination is allowed, No verbalization is allowed, no visualization is allowed, no speculation is allowed, no suggestions, auto-suggestion or outer-suggestion, no imposition of this philosophical belief or that philosophical belief, nothing. Yatha Bhuta, that means as it is, as it it has manifested itself. From moment to moment, from moment to moment. The reality pertaining to this physical structure, the reality pertaining to the mental structure, and the combination of the two. Many saints and seers and sages of the past has advised us know thyself. Good advice. Know thyself. But how? Not merely at the intellectual level. Not merely accepting at the emotional or devotional level. At the actual level. What is this physical structure? Do one keeps on saying I, I, mine, mine? So much of identification with this physical structure. And so also. So much of. Attachment to this physical structure. Similarly, this mental structure. I, mine. I, mine. So much of identification. And at the same time, so much of attachment. One has to realize the truth. What is this? Not by reading books or scriptures. Not by listening to these discourses. But... At one's own experience level. This is what he did. And became enlightened. As you keep on observing the truth as it is, as it is, as it is, nothing but truth. The law of nature is such that you start experiencing subtler, 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 subtlest truth pertaining to the matter subtlest truth pertaining to the mind and mental contents and the combination of the two the whole process makes you experience the truth, truth, truth and as you proceed on the path experiencing the truth from moment to moment moment to moment you come to the ultimate truth, which is beyond mind and matter. Even in the field of mind and matter, this subtlest truth has to be experienced, not merely apparent truth. One starts with the apparent truth, all right, but it takes us to the subtlest truth so that there is no more illusion or delusion or hallucination. The reality... At the experiential level, how does it work and how does it help us to come out of our misery? Let us understand. Misery is there in the life, we can't deny it. Birth is a misery. Coming in contact with some illness is a misery. Getting old is a misery. Death is a misery. Getting associated with something undesirable is a misery. Getting disassociated with something desirable is again a misery. We expect something, we crave for it, And we don't gain it, we don't get it, is a misery. All these miseries are so apparent. Anyone, everyone can realize in the life. But this enlightened person didn't stop there. He went deeper, deeper, deeper with a concentrated mind one-pointed concentration with the object of reality and then the law of nature is such that all this solidity the apparent solidity of the physical structure gets divided dissected disintegrated dissolved dissolved actually there is no solidity It's the apparent truth. Yes, it is truth. But the subtlest truth about the matter is, as he discovered, and any Vipassana meditator will discover, the entire material structure is nothing. Tiniest particle, which we call atom today, he gave a name, Kalapa. Tiniest particle. And he found, even this tiniest particle is not stable, is not solid. There is a constant change taking place. Vibration, 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 rising, passing, rising, passing, with great rapidity. And so also the mind and mental contents, at times one feels very intense. Like emotion has a reason. One keeps on observing, observing. As for the technique, observing, observing. It gets divided, dissected, disintegrated, dissolved. Again, vibration, vibration, nothing but vibration. Twenty-six centuries back, I call him a super scientist of spirituality. Without any modern apparatus, modern instruments, with his own insight, with his own experience, he came to the truth that the entire mind matter phenomena is nothing but vibration, vibration. The entire universe is nothing but vibration, vibration. And this truth can be experienced by a good Vipassana meditator. Of course, it may take some time. But one can experience it. Mere vibration. The entire universe is combustion and vibration. Pakampito, pajalito, vibration, vibration. What one gains by that? It is not just to quench the curiosity about oneself. What is the physical structure? What is the mental structure? Not for that. It helps to realize the law of nature how one becomes miserable and how one can come out of misery that reality becomes clearer and clearer at the experiential level when he realized this he discovered that every vibration in this physical structure, because one does not know, the conscious mind, the surface level of the mind always remains engaged with the outside object, outside object. But when you go, go deep inside and this that stage, you will find that you are reacting to these vibrations, these sensations on the body. In India at that time, when we go through the different scriptures of different Indian religions, we find there was already, there was already this preaching, don't get engulfed in these sensual objects outside, don't react you come in contact with a shape a form a color a light come in contact at the eye sense door a sound at the ear sense door a smell at the nose sense door a taste at the tongue sense door something tangible at the body sense door and a thought or a emotion at the mind sense tour. These six sense doors and their respective sensual objects, the entire sensorium is mere vibration, vibration. And a good meditator reaches the stage where one starts experiencing it. What happens? One takes the attention at the ear sense door, vibration. Vibration. A sound comes in contact with the ear sense door. Again, vibration, vibration. And as the sound comes in contact with the ear sense door, another type of vibration starts in the whole body. Neutral vibration. Now, how the mind works? What happens? As soon as a sound has come in contact with the ear, or a shape has come in contact with the eye, Or a smell with the nose, a taste with the tongue, something tangible with the body or some thought or emotion with the mind, what happens? A part of the mind will raise its head. Hey, something is happening. Something has happened at the ESN store. That part of the mind, its job is to cognize something has happened. Immediately, another part of the mind will say, said, what happened?" With all the memory of the past and all the experience of the past, this part of the mind will say, "This is sound. What sound? Oh, these are words. What words? Words of abuse, words of insult, or words, words of praise. It recognizes." Not only recognizes, it gives a valuation. Words of abuse, are ah, very bad. Words of praise, are ah, wonderful. And now what happens? There was a flow of very subtle vibration throughout the body. And now as soon as this valuation is given, this neutral flow of vibration changes. The moment it is said very bad, the vibration changes into very unpleasant vibrations. You have a flow of very unpleasant sensations throughout the body. The evolution is given very good. It changes very pleasant sensations throughout the body. The third part of the mind starts feeling these sensations. All this is happening so quickly. It's very difficult to come to that stage where you can divide and understand it, but one has to reach that stage and one reaches that stage by this practice, immediately the fourth part of the mind will start reacting. Unpleasant sensation. I don't like it. I don't like it. Aversion, hatred, aversion, hatred. A pleasant sensation. Ah, wonderful. I like it. Craving, clinging, craving, clinging. Now at the apparent level, which is apparent truth, it's a truth, that I am reacting with aversion towards these words of abuse or insult. I am reacting towards these words of praise. I like praise. I don't like abuse or insult. It is also true. But the great discovery of this enlightened person was, no, you are not reacting to these outside objects. It appears to be so. It's apparent truth. Actually, you are reacting to the sensations that you feel. Unpleasant sensation, you react with aversion. Pleasant sensation, you react with craving. And as soon as you start reacting, you will notice the mind at that depth level. You have to go to that deeper, deeper, deeper level of the mind where everything is so calm, tranquil. Then you find this difference, this disturbance you find as soon as you reacted with craving, you lost the balance of your mind, you lost the peace of your mind, you lost the harmony of your mind, you are a miserable person. Similarly, as soon as unplanned sensation comes and you react with aversion, you lost the peace of your mind, balance of your mind, you are a miserable person. Now at experiential level, one starts understanding where misery arises. The moment we react with craving or aversion, we lose our peace, we lose our harmony. So one has to rectify, to come out of this misery, one has to rectify and change this habit pattern of blind reactions. The surface level of the mind doesn't know what's happening, mere darkness. Deep inside, all these things are happening. And this is what he called avidya, ignorance. One does not know. Ignorance does not mean that one has not read scriptures, one has not read, not listened to some advice of wise people, nothing doing. One has not experienced the truth deep inside. And because of this ignorance, one keeps on reacting, craving, aversion, craving, aversion. All other defilements of the mind are product of this craving, aversion, craving, aversion. You crave for something, you didn't get it. Aversion arises, anger arises, hatred arises, you got something, then a fear arises. I may not miss it, this may not pass away. Like this, all different kinds of impurities of the mind, defilements of the mind are product of this craving, aversion, craving, aversion, which is a product of this ignorance. One does not know what is happening deep inside. Vipassana helps you to realize these truths. Go to that depth where this interaction is constantly going on. Day and night, there is not a single moment when there is no physical sensation. Every moment, this sensation, pleasant, unpleasant, gross, subtle, every moment, you are asleep or awakened, sitting or standing, lying or walking, eating or drinking, in every position, in every posture, the sensations are there. And at the depth of the mind, this reaction is there, craving, aversion, craving, aversion, this habit pattern, generating negativity, generating Misery for oneself, this habit pattern becomes stronger, stronger, stronger. How to break that habit pattern? When this was realized that the real reaction of craving and aversion is not towards the outside object, of course one should abstain also from reacting to the outside object, but that is only at the surface level of the mind. It helps to purify the mind, to calm the mind at the surface level. Buddha was not interested for that. Go to the depth of the mind, where it originates, where it multiplies, and makes you so miserable. How to go to the depth of the mind? He found out a way. Just start observing the truth as it is pertaining to this mind matter phenomena, As it is. And this is called vipassana. Whenever you make up your mind, to give 10 days of your life to experience this truth within yourself, a truth which will help you to come out of your misery, a truth which will help you to break this habit pattern of generating nothing but misery, misery, misery. For that you have to reach that depth. So whenever you decide you come for a 10-day course, you are asked to sit down, sit comfortably. In any posture that keeps you comfortable for longer periods at a stretch is a good posture for you. Not necessarily a lotus posture or half lotus posture. If someone can sit conveniently, go ahead, nothing wrong. Otherwise, any posture that keeps you comfortable at a stretch for a longer time, good posture. Keep your back and neck straight. This, this makes your mind more attentive. Keep your eyes closed. You have nothing to see. You have to feel things inside. Feel the truth inside. Eyes have got no function. If you keep the eyes open, there will be distraction. The mind will keep running to the outside object. Keep the eyes closed, gently closed. Keep the mouth gently closed. Because you are breathing through the nostrils, not through the mouth. And then see what is happening now. There is no physical action. There is no vocal action. What reality is manifesting itself? The breath. The breath is the first reality that anyone can experience sitting calmly. The breath coming in, the breath going out. This is the truth. No imagination is involved. And you start observing. Observing this truth. That means start feeling this truth as it comes in, as it goes out keeping your attention at the entrance of the nostril. He was very clear. To make a very deep operation of the mind, to come to the stage where you can divide, dissect, disintegrate, dissolve the entire structure, mind must be very sharp. And the mind becomes sharp if the concentration is one-pointed, Ekaggacitta, one-pointed. So at the entrance, one-pointed, above the upper lip, at the middle part of the upper lip, and you are aware of the breath coming in, the breath going out, breath coming in, breath going out, do nothing. It is not a breathing exercise, not at all. Don't try to control the breath as it is. The whole path is to observe the reality as it is, as it manifests itself from moment to moment. If the breath is deep, it is deep. If it is shallow, it is shallow. If it passes through left nostril, left nostril, right nostril, right nostril, just observe. Do nothing. So easy. Like you are sitting at the bank of the river, and the river is flowing. You are just looking at the bank, at the flow of the river. You do nothing for the flow of the river. It is natural. You are just sitting and observing. So easy. And yet, so difficult, whenever you come for a course of 10 days, the first day, very difficult. You are asked to observe the breath. Hardly you observe a couple of breath and the mind is gone somewhere. And then you realize, hey, what I was doing? I was supposed to observe my breath. What happened? And you bring it back. Again, hardly, a few seconds, again it's gone somewhere. Oh this monkey mind, it doesn't remain stable. One keeps on working, we have noticed the first day, not all, but quite a few new students, they get frustrated, they get irritated, generate negativity towards one's own mind. What sort of mind I am carrying? Such a simple job, just to observe, do nothing and yet It's not doing properly. Then the guide will say, no, don't generate aversion or anger in negativity, even towards yourself or towards anybody. This is so dangerous, so harmful for you. And you have come here to come out of your misery. Don't generate anger. Just accept the faith. You were observing the breath, mind wandered away. And as soon as you realize, mind has wandered away, accept, yes, at this moment, Mind has wandered away. This is the reality of this moment. Mind has wandered away. All right. The breath is still there. Let me try again. You be with the breath. Again, the mind wanders. Again, very patiently bring it back. Like this the whole day. Patiently, persistently, patiently, persistently. No other object. Only this object and this area. The breath from this area. Second day, third day you find the mind starts calming down. Not totally calmed down, but much better than what it started. Mind is calming down, and the breath becomes subtler and subtler, finer and finer, and shorter and shorter. So fine, like a thin thread, as it comes out, it makes a U-turn, goes in, comes out, goes in. You are just aware. And because you started with a with normal breath, slightly gross breath, and you come to that subtle, mind also becomes subtler and subtler. Mind becomes sharper and sharper and more and more sensitive. And that helps you to feel subtler realities pertaining to yourself, pertaining to this mind matter phenomena. When the Buddha asked you to observe the breath, This was also mind matter phenomena. At the apparent level it looks, the breathing is the function of the lung, is a physical function, the breath coming in, going out. Yes, it is true. At the apparent level, yes, true. But at the actual level, the breath is strongly related to mind and very strongly related to the mental impurities. As one keeps on observing the breath, observing the breath, mind wanders in the past or in the future some memories or some expectation or some fear and some impurity arises. Maybe anger arises, maybe passion arises, maybe ego arises, maybe fear arises and you will notice as soon as any impurity has arisen in the mind, the breath loses its normality. It is no more normal. It becomes slightly hard, slightly fast and when that particular impurity has gone away, Again, it becomes normal. Oh, it is so clear. The breath is not merely related to body, it is related to mind also. And we are here to understand the interaction of mind and matter, the reality about mind and matter. By the time you spend three days continuously working, that is why people are imprisoned in this spiritual prison for ten days. You can't go out, you can't do anything else, do this, nothing but this. And observing, 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 you start experiencing subtler realities. What subtler realities? There is a constant biochemical reaction taking place in the entire physical structure. Constant electromagnetic reaction taking place throughout the physical structure, manifesting itself as this sensation or that sensation. You start feeling different sensations in this area. Sensations are always there. The mind is very gross, so it can't feel. Now the mind is becoming subtler and subtler, more and more sensitive. You start feeling sensations, maybe heat, maybe perspiration, maybe throbbing, pulsing, vibrating, tingling, heaviness, numbness, anything. You can't choose. It's a choiceless observation. Your job is to observe whatever comes. You can't make an effort to create a particular sensation, effortless observation. Let the nature play its own role. Let dhamma play its own role. Whatever arises, you are observing, observing. From fourth day onwards, you start feeling these sensations throughout the body, from the top of the head to the tips of the toes. Throughout the body, sensations, sensations. In normal life, we feel sensations which are very gross, very unpleasant, like pressure, tension, pain, heaviness, heat, perspiration, very easy. But there are so many sensations, so many sensations, so subtle, one cannot feel. Now you are making your mind so sensitive and so sharp, you start feeling different kind of sensations. Initially, of course, when you start observing the whole body, some parts may go blind, you may not feel a sensation. Sensation is there, but your mind is not that sharp, you keep on working, keep on working, You start feeling sensation everywhere, on every part of the body, every particle of the body. Ultimately, you reach the stage, you feel sensation on every atom of the body. But now, not at that stage, every part of the body. Initially, many students feel very solidified, intensified, gross sensations, very unpleasant sensations. You are trained to observe. The old habit pattern was to react with aversion. Whenever you come across a feeling of unpleasant sensation, the old habit pattern, I don't like it, aversion, aversion. And on the sixth day or seventh day or eighth day, when you start feeling a flow of very pleasant, subtle vibrations throughout the body, very pleasant, then the old habit pattern was to react with craving. Ah, wonderful. This is what I was looking for. I got it now. Oh, wonderful. Such a pleasant flow throughout the body. Your guide will say, no, just observe, don't react. This is your old habit pattern, to react with unpleasant sensation with aversion, pleasant sensation with craving. Just observe as it is, the reality as it is, and see what is the nature of these sensations. A very gross, unpleasant sensation, it arises, seems to stay for some time, but ultimately passes away arises, stays for some time, sooner or later passes away, it is not eternal. It arises to pass away, it arises to pass away. This is the nature of this, this type of sensation. And when you come to very subtle vibrations, pleasant vibration, one notices this is also mere wavelets, wavelets, vibration, vibration. Same characteristic, arising, passing, arising, passing, now with great rapidity. With high velocity, but the characteristic remains the same and the wisdom arises. What is the purpose? What is the sense of reacting to something which is constantly changing, pleasant or unpleasant? What is the sense to react? And what notices, says? whenever I react with craving or aversion, I have lost the balance of my mind, I have lost the peace of my mind. So instead of reacting, just observe, do nothing, just observe. See how long it lasts. It arises, passes, arises, passes. With the truth, no imagination allowed. You are experiencing the truth as it is, as it is from moment to moment, from moment to moment. And the habit pattern starts changing. Habit pattern starts changing. This was a great discovery of this enlightened person that you are reacting to the feeling of sensations on your body. And unless we reach that stage where we can feel all the sensations on the body, we can't change this habit pattern. The misery starts whenever we start reacting there and the misery gets eradicated when we stop reacting. So this is training. First ten days, first course, you train yourself not to react, not to react, just observe, just observe. Many other realities many other law of nature becomes clearer and clearer because you're working with the truth, truth of the nature. We call it Dhamma, the nature, the law of nature. To me, Buddha was not a founder of any religion. Somehow the other people started understanding in that way. He was a super scientist, super scientist of the spiritual field, the interaction of mind and matter, how misery arises, and how it multiplies, multiplies and overpowers you. And then you perform such unwholesome vocal actions, physical actions, which harm you and harm others. And you have to come out of that. How to come out of that? One has to go to the depth where this impurity starts and where you start generating misery for yourself. So one has to go to that depth where one can feel sensations throughout the body because you are reacting to the body sensations, nothing else. This becomes very clear and when the habit pattern starts changing, the whole nature of the law becomes so clear. All the different traditions, different religions in the East or West, everywhere, every religion worth its name has been preaching, is preaching. Live a moral life, what moral life? Abstain from such vocal or physical actions which will harm others, which will hurt others, which will disturb the peace and harmony of others. They are unwholesome actions, abstain from that. The teaching was there. What contribution of Buddha? Yes, the teaching is there. Now with the teaching of Buddha, with this practice, he's an enlightened person, he's a deep scientist. When you say you don't harm others, that means you don't kill, you don't steal anything that doesn't belong to you, doesn't have sex, don't have sexual misconduct, don't speak lies to deceive others, don't speak harsh words to hurt others, all these things are taught by other religions also, and he also taught the same thing, but he took us much deeper, much deeper. At the apparent level it looks that when I live a moral life I don't perform any unwholesome action vocal or physical. That means I am not harming other people and I am a human being, a human being is a social being. I have to live in the society, I have to live with the members of my own family, members of my society. If I keep on disturbing the peace of others, if I keep on harming others, How can I have peace? The whole atmosphere is disturbed. And I am disturbing that. I am harming people. So a very good advice of all the religions, don't harm others. This is morality. Buddha says, no. You are, when you are observing morality, yes, you are not harming others. But the main thing is, you are not harming yourself. He says a great discovery again by the scientists. You can't harm anybody without first harming yourself. This is the truth, but discovered by this enlightened person. You can't harm anybody. First you have to harm yourself, then only harm others. When you kill somebody, how can you kill? You can't kill without generating enormous anger, hatred, ill will, animosity. Then only you kill. And if you are a good meditator observing the truth within yourself. You notice, the moment I generate anger or hatred, what sort of sensation I am feeling. Burning sensation throughout the body. The palpitation increases. The tension gets built up. Misery, misery. Before killing somebody, without, before hurting anybody else, I started hurting myself. And this is what he realized. First you kill the peace and harmony of yourself. Then only you kill somebody else. You kill the peace and harmony of others. It becomes clearer and clearer at the experiential level. You steal something. How can you steal without generating greed? And when you generate greed, a good meditator who has gone to the depth of the mind, you have lost the balance of your mind. You have lost the peace of your mind. You are a miserable person. Sexual misconduct, you generate lust, passion, loss the balance of the mind, peace of the mind. You deceive somebody by speaking lies or you hurt somebody by harsh words, some impurity or the other. You can't perform any unwholesome action without generating some impurity or the other within yourself. You are harming yourself. Before harming others, you are harming yourself. This reality, when one starts realizing by this practice, nobody wants to harm oneself. Everyone wants to live a peaceful life, harmonious life, good for oneself, good for others. The habit pattern starts changing. It starts changing. Like out of ignorance, I touch burning fire. My hand gets burned. I may do this mistake twice, thrice. I learn this is fire. It burns. Oh no, I should not touch fire. In the same way with the practice of vipassana, more and more one realizes, whenever I generate any negativity in the mind, I am the first victim of that negativity. Look, burning, tension, so much of discomfort, so much of misery. Nobody wants to generate misery for oneself, and yet out of ignorance, Because one keeps on working at the surface level of the mind, never has been to that depth of the mind to understand the reality, the totality of the reality. If you are understanding only a partial reality, distorted, this does not give you the real picture. But when you feel the entire totality of the mind-matter structure, then it becomes so clear. Every time I generate any negativity in the mind, I am the first victim, I become miserable, the habit pattern starts changing. The law of nature becomes clearer and clearer. The law of the nature is, or you can say the law of the God Almighty is, whatever you say, you keep your mind pure, free from impurities. If you break this law, you are punished, punished here and now. You have broken the law of nature, you live in a a country, the government, the law of the government, law of the state, you have to abide, you have to abide, live according to the law of the country, you break the law, you are punished. But this punishment might take a long time. From this court to that court you keep on appealing, appealing and later on maybe you are not punished. But law of nature, no time instantly as you break the law you are punished and as you start living in line with the law of nature you are rewarded you will notice this law of nature at experiential level look the nature wants that i must keep my mind pure free from defilements and out of ignorance i started defiling i started generating some impurity and look i have become miserable The nature has started punishing me. When the defilement has gone away, mind is pure, calm, tranquil. One feels so much of peace, so much of harmony. Nature has started rewarding. This nature, law of nature, and this great scientist discovered that. He always speaks in the language of a scientist when he says, Buddha or no Buddha, the law of nature is there. Dhamma-niyamta is there. If you have this or this together, this result is bound to come. If you don't want this result, then this and this should not be there. If you have ignorance and because of ignorance you keep on generating some defilement or the other, you are bound to suffer. Nobody can help you. But if you don't want suffering, then come out of this ignorance, understand what is happening at the experiential level, see what is happening, I don't react. You are coming out of your misery. So simple. The law is law. Buddha or no Buddha, this law is there, eternal. Like Newton or no Newton, the law of gravity is there. He discovered it. We use, make use of it. Buddha discovered this law. If you generate negativity in the mind, you are the victim of the negativity, you become miserable. Come out of that habit. You are out of your misery. And there is a way, he found out a way how to come out of it. How to come out of it. Go to the depth where it originates and starts multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. To that extent, it overpowers you. Then you perform unwholesome vocal action, unwholesome physical action. You started harming yourself, but you start harming others also. Whenever you generate any negativity in the mind, you are miserable, but you never keep that misery limited to yourself. You keep on throwing on others, throwing on others. When I generate anger, the whole atmosphere around me becomes permeated with the vibration of anger, negativity, misery, misery, tension. Anyone who comes in contact with me at that time becomes miserable. So I am generating misery for myself and misery for others. On the other hand, by this technique, if I can make my mind pure, 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 at the deepest level, to make it pure at the surface level, there are many techniques and it is good. At least you purify the mind at the surface level. That much misery is relieved. But deep inside the process is going on. So if you purify at the deepest level, you find you are generating peace and harmony. Nothing but peace, harmony. The whole atmosphere around you gets permeated with the vibration of peace, harmony, peace, harmony. Anybody comes in contact with you at that time feels peace and harmony. So the teaching, teaching of vipassana teaching of this enlightened person is a way of life. No religion, no rites or rituals or ceremonies and philosophical beliefs are involved. No blind faith is involved. It's the truth which you experience yourself. You realize how I am harming myself, I am harming others and how by observing, observing, I can change the habit pattern, start feeling happy myself and I start sharing happiness with others. A way of life a good way of life, happy, harmonious, wholesome way of life, an art of living, how to live peacefully and harmoniously within and how to generate nothing but peace and harmony for the atmosphere outside so that others can also live in peace and harmony. One has to practice it, merely understanding it or accepting it at the intellectual level or emotional level or devotional level. will give guidance, we'll give inspiration, that's all. But you can't come out of misery. For that you have to make a surgical operation of your mind to go to the depth where it starts starts reacting. Where it starts generating craving, aversion, craving, aversion and change the habit pattern there. He said there is a big tree, say a very poisonous tree. You cut it off. You don't like it, poisonous tree. You cut it off. So what? Her roots are still there. Another will sprout, more will sprout, you are not liberated. You keep on purifying your mind. There are many methods, many techniques prevailing at the time of Buddha, before Buddha and after Buddha also. There are many techniques which will calm down the mind, pacify the mind and purify the mind at the surface level, slightly deep level. It won't take you to the deepest level, the root level and unless you purify the mind at the root level. Again impurities will keep on arising. Volcanic eruption time and again will make you disturbed again and again. Again and again you are miserable. So he wants you to go directly. The whole technique is to go directly to the root level and eradicate that habit pattern which generates nothing but misery, misery, misery by this defilement or that defilement. Out of ignorance one does not know what is happening. What I am doing deep inside. And one keeps on generating misery for oneself. A wonderful scientist of peace, a wonderful scientist of liberation, happiness, himself became liberated by that and kept on teaching out of compassion, love. When the mind becomes ultra-pure, then by nature a pure mind is full of love, pure love. Pure love does not have a trace of passion, no lust. Pure love full of compassion, it is just one way traffic. You don't expect anything in return. In pure love you don't expect anything in return. Just give one way traffic, keep giving, keep giving. Such love automatically arises and the mind gets suffused with this compassion, goodwill. All these good qualities automatically come and life becomes so peaceful, so harmonious. Everyone can practice the technique, the teaching, teaching of the enlightened person is not limited to a particular community, a particular sect. It is universal, non-sectarian, anybody can preach. Law of nature, applicable to anybody. So the law of nature, if you live a life according to the law of nature, anybody and everybody will become liberated from misery. So people from different religions, different traditions, are coming to be Pashna. When it generated for about five or six centuries, it kept on helping India. Different communities, they accepted it. And there was so much of peace and harmony in the society. Later on, somehow or the other, it got lost from that country. Went to other countries also, and there also, somehow or the other, it got lost. The technique got lost. The words were still there in five countries. One country, neighboring country, Myanmar, which was called Burma, Maintained it, maintained it in its pristine purity, as they received it, very few people, from generation to generation, generation to generation, from teacher to pupil, from teacher to pupil, they kept it, it in its pristine purity, and that is why, after so many centuries, we get it back in pure form, and now we find the same result. people from different countries, from different organizations, from different traditions, from different religions. They participate and they get the same result. There is no religion today in the world, no religion whose followers are not attending 10 day Vipassana courses. And not only followers, they are leaders. Leaders of different religions are attending because they find it is good for all, for everybody. It is not limited to a particular sect. Large number of Christian priests have participated. More than 2,000 Christian priests and nuns have participated and they keep on participating. Muslims have participated. Hindu sannyasis have participated. Jain, Munis, all those. When they come, they find, oh, it is the same in our religion also. I remember the first group of Christian missionary who came, one very elderly mother superior, very elderly. At the end of the course, he says, Go in, you are teaching Christianity in the name of Buddha. I am teaching the law of nature. Every enlightened person, every saintly person had taught the same thing. Keep your mind pure, pure pure-hearted. Remain pure-hearted, full of love, full of compassion. But mere sermons won't help. Mere acceptance at the intellectual or emotional level also won't help. One has to practice it. One has to experience it. One has to work on it at the actual level. And then the result comes. Muslims come and they say, this is what you find in our Quran also. You observe the breath, you observe your body, and you will observe the God Almighty. How to observe the breath? You couldn't understand. The breath does not have any shape or form or color. How to observe it? And the body, every day I take bath and I observe my whole body. I have not seen God. What is this? And when they come to the course, oh, this is what? This is what my man was meant by these two ayats. Everyone who comes, they feel it is ours, it is ours. Truth is ours for everybody. Of course there is difference when you come to the outer shell of every religion. Every religion, the inner essence is the same. Live a moral life with a disciplined mind, pure mind, full of love, compassion, goodwill, tolerance. This is the teaching of every, every religion. This is the essence, quintessence, but the outer shell is always different. Rites, rituals, ceremonies, beliefs, dogmas are always different. Let people be happy with the outer shell also, but when when they give so much importance only to the outer shell and forget the inner essence, then all this trouble starts. This terrorism starts, fundamentalism starts. Extremism starts. My religion is the real religion. Everybody should convert it to my religion and then only they will get liberated because giving importance to that outer shell only. If importance is given to inner shell, inner essence, it's it's the same for everybody. Let everybody practice that and there will be a good society, peaceful society, good world, good human world. There will be peace in the world. There must be peace in the mind of the individual then only they can be peace in the society, then only they can be peace in the world. So Buddha gave a wonderful technique how to have peace by getting relieved, getting liberated from all the defilements of the mind, live a peaceful life and give peace to the atmosphere outside. More and more people who come to these courses start enjoying it. It's it's a real practice by which you get it. Not because of the Some blessing of the Guru or blessing of the Buddha or anything, there's nothing doing. Somebody shows the path, one who has experienced it will show the path. And when you practice, you walk on the path, you get the same result. All of you who have spared some time to come to this, listen to this Dhamma talk, may all, all of you enjoy real peace within yourself, real harmony within yourself, real happiness within yourself. To give ten days of your life and learn this technique and come out of your misery. May all of you be happy, be peaceful, be liberated, be liberated. How could this technique prevent terrorism in the Middle East? Middle East or Far East or Near East, everywhere. Wherever there is terrorism, people do not understand what they are doing. Mm -hmm. They are harming themselves and harming others. And when this technique spreads, it's a beginning now. After so many centuries, it has come up now and has started. The result is bound to be there. Now, in the Middle East, Israel, regular courses are being given of vipassana, one after the other, one after the other. So many people are getting benefit of it. And even in Iran, even in Oman, even in UAE, courses are given. And so also, different places in South Asia, the same thing, wherever people have started practicing it, a big change is coming. Big terrorists who are in jail, some of them, and in the prison, Vipassana is not there. Within two, three, ten-day courses, a big change is coming. Now here in the United States, also in the prison, courses are given and a big change is coming. This is universal technique it works terrorism is nothing but a product of the negative emotion of the mind if that negative emotion goes away automatically terrorism will go away of course a state government has to look after the society to have to safeguard them for their safety to keep these terrorists away This is the duty of the government, perfectly all right. At the same time, this fear psychosis that's coming on, everybody is in a big terror, fear. What will happen? Next, what will happen? I understand this is there. This is more dangerous because this is what the terrorists want. They want to generate terror in the society, terror in the people, terror in the world so that people kneel down to them, all right, whatever you say, we agree, please don't kill, please don't kill us. We have to face that, and this technique will help. There are people, after this 11th September case, still there are people who are in deep shock because of that, a trauma, and they have not come out of that. Vipassana helps, and we are giving... A challenge to them, come, try this and come out of, come out of your fear. Even those who are not harmed by that attack, still the fear is there. What will happen? What will happen? And all the time one one loses the peace of the mind, sleep of of the night, what is happening? This technique will help. This technique will help. Make use of it for your good and for the good of so many others. Do you think vipassana is suitable for American culture? Every culture. This culture or that culture makes no difference. Human being is human being. Human mind is human mind. You keep on generating impurity in your mind, you keep on generating misery for yourself and the technique helps you to change that habit pattern. Come out of the habit of generating impurity and misery and start living a peaceful life. That is why a large number of people of this country, even before I started coming here from 1979, they started coming to India, a large number of them. And they started pressing me to come here and start teaching. And from that time I had been coming here, now there are centers. So many people are accepting it because the whole technique is so scientific, so rational, so pragmatic, no blind faith involved, and result-oriented. It gives result here and now. It is suitable for the American culture, as it is suitable to every culture. How can I succeed if I detach myself from my feelings? You will succeed. Now you feel that you are successful because of your attachment. But when you become detached, you find your capacity to work has increased. You get better results, good results. I remember my own case as a businessman. Before Vipassana, I had so much of ego, attachment, and I must earn that, that much. I must be one inch taller than everybody else. My turnover must be always more than anybody else. That madness was there. That relentless rat race of money, 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 full of tension, full of misery. And when I got Vipassana, a big change came in my life. And I found I am not running away from my My responsibility. I carried on on my business, my turnover increased, my profit increased, but there was peace of mind. The whole attitude changed and it was a very ideal life. So I say, everyone who is seeking some worldly gain, have a peace of mind and then you will find that your capacity to work increases. If the mind is in turmoil, disturbed, how can you make good decisions? Right decisions, but the mind is calm, tranquil, pure. A problem has come. You make quick decision, right decision. That is why leaders of business, these chief executive officers, they are coming to the courses. A special course was given to them. This uh, conference of spirituality and business was there. They are coming. Large number of business people are coming and so also large number of government executives are coming. Many states in India are giving 14 days leave to their high officials, 14 days leave with pay, go to Vipassana, take a course, come back. They are changed, their capacity to, to work increases, they give better results, better administration. So don't feel that by Vipassana you will run away from your responsibility. If there is no I, who and what is striving for purity and liberation? this is what you have to understand when you go deep inside and you will understand that an imaginary eye just created and that is playing all these games these four parts of the mind one of them is cognizing other recognizing third feeling and the fourth reacting that reacting part of the mind dangerous it always wants to things happen according to one's own wishes. And the, as you keep on understanding that, understanding that, you will understand that this is an imaginary I and because of that, the craving increases, the aversion increases, the hatred increases and there is more misery. And by nature, the changes come. You won't have to crave for, crave for that change. You don't have to crave for the purity. You don't have to crave for the Nibbana. I must get Nibbana. If you start craving for Nibbana, you are running in the opposite direction of Nibbana. So just accept the reality as it is, nature will start helping you. Good. How can a meditation center benefit a community? How does a school benefit a community? How does a college benefit a community? How does the hospital commu- benefit a community? How a gymnasium uh, benefit the community? A time will come, I'm very sure, a time will come within one or two generations maximum, when every village, every district, every state will have so many Vipassana centers. This is a necessity for everyone. This is a mental exercise. You do physical exercise to keep the body healthy, strong, and there is a mental exercise which has to be practiced by everyone the mind should be healthy which is much more important than keeping the body healthy if the mind is unhealthy the body cannot remain healthy so it is a must have meditation center more and more have more and more practice of vipassana to come out of misery is vipassana compatible with prayer what we pray again we want this i want this i want this whatever good automatically will come Good or bad is the product of your own karma, your own deeds. Good deeds, you get good result. Bad deeds, bad result. As the seed is, so the fruit will be. So be careful about sowing your own seed. Sow the sweet seed, you will get sweet fruits. You are sowing bitter, bitter seed, bitter fruits will come. So be more aware of the law of nature and work accordingly. Are you afraid of your Vipassana organization becoming a cult if it is Vipassana it can't become a cult totally impossible when when Vipassana is lost then of course it it may become a cult can't help it so I want every student of Vipassana I want every teacher of Vipassana who are trained see that maintain the purity of the technique don't try to please people as a businessman yes you have to please your customers customer is right whatever he wants give him whatever he wants to give him, then you change, add little bit of this, little bit of that. Oh, ten days, too much. So all right, I will teach you within three days. I will teach you within one day. Come, come, come. (laughs) Because you want money. You want to make profit out of it. If the purity is maintained, nothing to worry. It won't become a cult. Good. Good. Why do you chant in your 10-day courses? How is this compatible with the meditation technique you teach? It is the duty of the teacher. Chanting, when it becomes a rite or a ritual, then dangerous. But there is also in Vipassana a technique to chant. Every word that you chant must come with the vibration at the heart level or throat level. Vibration of purity. So the whole atmosphere gets charged with the vibration of purity so that bad vibrations do not come and disturb the meditators for that purpose only, not to fulfill any right or ritual. I worry that if one is very successful in overcoming all misery and be peaceful, one may not be able to live A full, vibrant, dynamic life. Oh, you will live a full life. Very dynamic. There will be so much of energy. Pure energy. Which can't harm you and can't harm anybody else. You won't become like vegetable. Let anybody come and cut me. I am a personal meditator. Oh, no, no, no. You will be full of life. Good life. Healthy life. I have friends who are in who are lesbian and homosexual, could you explain how we is taught by S. N. Goinka <laughs> related to these people? Vipassana is for everyone. You have to come out of passion. Whether you are a lesbian or homosexual, what makes the difference? Human being is human being. When you generate, when you generate passion or lust, it starts multiplying. You become a slave of that habit pattern. And it becomes so harmful. This technique helps you. Of course those who have come out of the householder's life live as a monk or a nun or a priest or a nun. For them celibacy is so important. But otherwise a householder even if there is sex relations must be limited, disciplined and if both are good meditators, passion arises, both of them Start observing the passion. Passion is passion. And what sensation you have. Another very big invention or not invention, the discovery that the Buddha made, that nothing can arise in the mind without a feeling of sensation in the body. Nothing can arise. So a passion is a reason. That means there is a sensation in the body. And you, are, if you are a good first meditator, you feel sensation. It is impermanent. Arising, passing, arising. It is not eternal. And this... Sensation that I am feeling now With the passion in my mind This is related to passion If this is not eternal The passion is not eternal Let me see how long it lasts Let me see how long it lasts It becomes weaker, weaker, passes away It won't overpower you A very good solution For those who have taken the vow of celibacy A number of such people are coming Not that everybody is coming with that aim But number of them are coming to face This problem of passion and lust Passion arises they have taken a vow of celibacy, they keep on suppressing, suppressing, they become a psychic case, go to the psychiatrist. And if they are not suppressing, they have taken some wrong action, wrong action, broken the celibacy, or such heinous crime, having hurt innocent children. Then one gets a feeling of uh, guilt, and again one is miserable. By this technique, passion arises, you keep on observing, 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 So whether one is belonging to this lesbian group or homosexual group or what group makes no difference. You observe, observe, observe and come out of it. Don't become a slave of passion. Otherwise, there is a danger of your becoming a sex maniac. Don't be a sex maniac. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Be happy. Be happy. Be peaceful. Be liberated.